Well, happy Easter to all of you who are here today. And I just want to say, if this is your very first time with us here at New Life, it's your very first time to be here, man, a very special welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here, and I want to invite you to come back anytime. And we'd love to have you join us in this great adventure that we're on as a church family. Speaking of this great adventure, next week I'm starting a brand new sermon series called Go West, and it goes right along with our Go West campaign, which is all about our church following God's call, God's leading, to launch a second campus out on the west side of Bella Vista. I hear, anyway, that that's going to be done sometime around November. Did you hear the same thing as me? So that bypass, so God has given us his great piece of land right off one of the major exits of the bypass, and one day soon, there's going to be a second New Life campus there, and I cannot wait for that day. I know many of you live out there, and it's just going to open all kinds of doors of opportunity, and how we describe it is, man, God's just going to make heaven fuller because of this effort. And so that's what this Go West campaign is all about. It's just taking that next step in towards that vision. And I would invite you to come and be a part of that. Now, these last couple of weeks, we've been taking just a few moments here at the beginning of the preaching time where we're just praying together about that whole adventure. So would you join me in a word of prayer as we pray about our Go West campaign? Dear Lord, we come to you as a church family. Lord, laying, continue to lay at your feet this whole new opportunity that you put in front of us. Lord, we believe that we are walking by faith. Lord, we look at how you have guided us this whole way, how you've resourced our church, how you provided for us, and we know, Lord, that you'll continue to do so. Lord, we've never claimed to have all the answers or know how to do everything, but Lord, you do, and our faith is in you. And so, Lord, we just are walking in faith, trusting you in this adventure. And Lord, we, we know you'll guide us. So Lord, be with us as we enter this new season next week, this new chapter, this new exciting, shaping season of our church. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, hey, I know all of you know what this picture is behind me. Uh, there it is. This is a cross necklace. And if I had to guess, just about all of you, especially all of you ladies, either have something like this or have had something like this in the past. You wear it around your neck or earrings or, or a cross on your bracelet or whatnot. You can pretty much pick these up anywhere and they're pretty cheap too. Or you could spend a lot of money. If you had a cross necklace that was made out of gold or, or other precious metal or if you put some diamonds on there, well then you're gonna get in some money. But this is pretty common. A lot of people have jewelry with crosses on it. Have you ever stopped to wonder about how the cross transformed into a fashion statement? I don't even, have you ever thought about that before? Because I never really thought about it until I got into college. I mean, it was just so common. You see it everywhere. Uh, I, I was in college and I had a professor pose this question about why we wear crosses. And he says, he said, do you find it strange that an instrument of torture, humiliation, and execution passes as a thing of beauty today? And I thought I'd never thought about it. I never really thought about it like that. Uh, now, I, I thought, you know, if you wore a cross back in Jesus' day, I think you would get some strange looks. Because why would you wear something that had to do with somebody's death around your neck? I think it might be similar as if we made jewelry out of little electric chairs and wore those today. I think it would be something similar if you wore a cross in Jesus' day. Now, I tell you that because I, I don't want you to stop wearing your cross jewelry. No, no, that's not what I mean at all. But I think the fact that something 
as ugly as this instrument of death could be transformed into something of elegance and beauty is actually a, a clear testimony. It's a clear picture of what this day is all about because the resurrection of Jesus is all about transformation. It's about things becoming something else. Jesus came out of that tomb alive and well, and I hope all of us believe that today. But it was in that very moment he took all the things that were broken and cruel and harsh and ugly and repulsive, and, and he made it possible for them to be transformed into something beautiful. Now, the resurrection doesn't make the cross less barbaric. It doesn't make the cross a little smoother or a little kinder. That's not what it does. But the resurrection is so powerful and it's so all-encompassing that it takes a symbol of death and it transforms it into a symbol of life and salvation. And I don't know if you've ever thought about the cross before like that or if this is just a brand new concept for you. But what I'd like for you to do today, like we all do this together, is I would like for us to talk about the reality of the resurrection and I want us to talk about its transformational power that we find in the resurrection. We are joining along with literally over a billion people around the world this very weekend who are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. We are celebrating the truth that the resurrection brings a beautiful transformation in people's lives. So let's talk about that just real briefly here today. Let's talk about the reality of the resurrection. Let me share with you some of the reasons why I believe it's absolutely true and how we can know that it actually happened and the, and the reality of it. I believe that the reality of the resurrection is seen in Jesus's very words. Now something you need to know about me is my truth comes from the Bible. The Bible is my source of authority. And so, yes, I'm going to go to the things that Jesus said first and foremost. I want to go there. For me, the reality of the resurrection is found in Jesus' words. Did you know that Jesus predicted his death before it happened? How many of us know that? In fact, there's many times we read the New Testament where he would say to his disciples, hey, I'm going to have to leave. I'm going to be put to death, but I'm going to rise again. Mark chapter 8, verse 31 is one of those places in the Bible. Let me read it for you. Is he, speaking of Jesus, began to teach them, the disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke plainly to them about this. Now, I'm confident that the disciples in that moment were not connecting all of the dots. How could they? If I was sitting there, I would probably not be connecting all the dots either. But here Jesus is plainly saying, fellas, I'm going to die. You know this thing that we've been doing together these last few years? It's not going to go on forever. I'm actually going to be put to death. But don't worry about it because I am going to rise again. The very fact that Jesus predicted it and then it actually happened, it adds strength to this reality that the resurrection is true. It brings reality to all the teachings of the Bible. If you call it ahead of time and then it happens, there's all these people that verify that it happened, it adds strength. And you know what else it adds strength to? To the rest of the Bible. When it talks about that if we will believe and identify with Jesus in his death and his resurrection, great things are in store for you. Like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. He said, if Christ had not been raised, in other words, if this whole thing never happened, your faith is futile. If Christ had not been raised from the dead, our purposes for being here would be a joke. He says, you would still be in your sins, verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. 
If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. Let me just say, Jesus called it, he predicted it, and things start to make sense when we understand it. Here's something that I hope makes a lot of sense, and if you don't remember anything else that I say today, I hope that you'll remember this. Believing in the resurrection of Jesus is not a footnote to the Christian faith. It is not postscript and is not epilogue either. No, believing in the resurrection is the Christian faith. It is proof that everything that Jesus said and everything that he did is true. Now think about it like this. Do you realize how many things that Jesus said would make no sense for us today had he not risen from the dead? A lot of things that he said would not make any sense to us today. Like John 14, 6 would not make any sense had Jesus not risen from the grave. Do you recall John 14, 6? You probably will as soon as I, I say it to you. It's that famous verse where Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those words make no sense had Jesus not died and risen to life. How do we go to the Father? Through Jesus. How does that happen? The Bible tells us that we go through the Father, through Jesus, when we believe and identify how? With Christ's death and resurrection. The book of Romans says, all of those that have died with Christ will also be raised with Christ. So when Jesus says, come follow me, through me, my path to the Father is through my death and resurrection. It makes no sense if he didn't actually do it. We identify the same way. We come to the Father through our faith in his death and resurrection. So I really see a reality of the resurrection through Jesus' own words. And that bolsters and strengthens my faith. But I will tell you today, that's not the only thing out there that strengthens and bolsters my faith in the reality of the resurrection. Are any history buffs in here? Anybody like history? Anybody like a good historical documentary? I love those things. I could read history and watch those documentaries. Do you know that the reality of the resurrection is seen in history? It really is. Jesus' words, without a doubt, are the most scrutinized words in the world. For centuries, scholars and people have been studying Jesus' words. They've been scrutinizing over them. And while there's a lot of debate, did he mean this exactly or this exactly? Do we interpret it this or what should we do? No serious Bible scholar denies the fact that Jesus was a real person, that he lived, that he died, and his life changed all those around him and actually changed the world. No one denies that. In fact, there are historical witnesses outside of the Bible that confirm that Jesus lived and Jesus was crucified. And amazing, we have historical witnesses who also prove that Jesus' earliest followers were extremely serious about their devotion to him, his teachings, and to his resurrection. I'll give you a couple examples. In the Annals of Imperial Rome, some of you might be familiar with this document. It was written about 116 AD by a Roman senator and historian named Tacticus. And he wrote about a history, but he wrote about a time specifically when Nero set Rome on fire in 64 AD. That's a well-documented fact. Nobody denies that. We read it in a history book. It's taught in school today. Nero set Rome on fire in 64 AD. Tacticus is writing about it. And then he adds this interesting detail. He wrote about how Nero blamed it on the Christians. Listen to what he said. The persons commonly called Christians who were hated for their animosity, 
Christus, or Christ, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate. Now that may not mean a whole lot at first read, but let me tell you why that's really important. Because here you have a guy, he's not a believer, he's not trying to prove anything, he's writing a history, and he's writing about something that is a known fact at that time about Nero setting Rome on fire, and he blames it on Christians who are devoted to their leader, Christ. Now think about this, he's writing this in 116 A.D., And he's writing about something that happened in 64 AD. So he's writing about something that happened 52 years earlier. Sometimes we get lost in these dates. It would be like me today writing about something that happened in 1969 or 1970. It was not not ancient history by any means, but it's back there a little ways. And some of you are like, it's not back there very far at all. I remember 1969. Some of you are like, I don't remember 1969, but that's not because I wasn't there. No, that's just, that's a... (laughs) Man, that's a different sermon. (laughs) What I'm saying is, we can talk about 1969, 1970 with great detail because it's not ancient history. It's where, you know, we're, it's not that far ago. He's writing about Rome being on fire and it's not that long ago for him. It's a known thing. And then he talks about Jesus being put to death by Pontius Pilate. This is an outside the Bible source referring to something the Bible speaks clearly about. He's writing about something that happened 83 years earlier when Jesus was put to death by Pontius Pilate. He's writing about it as fact. That would be like me today talking about something in 1937 or 1938. Yeah, it happened quite a long time ago, but it's not ancient history by any means. There's other non-Christian writers like the Jewish historian Josephus who wrote all about Jesus and his followers. Before Tacticus wrote his history, a Roman governor by the name of Pilony the Younger, he actually, we have a record where he was complaining about the Christians that he himself was persecuting. And he's like, you know what these people do? These Christians, they sing hymns to Christ as if they were singing to God. Dr. Paul Mayer calls this positive evidence from a hostile source. You know what he's saying really? In essence, he's saying if a source, like these outside the Bible sources, if they are admitting to facts that are decidedly not in their favor. In other words, I'm not telling you about anything that brings glory to me or makes us look good. I'm just telling you what happened. If, If you get a source that says that, then in fact, it is genuine. It's a positive evidence from a hostile source. You you know what else history also confirms? The histories and other witnesses confirms that something monumental, something transformative took place in the lives of the followers of Jesus. Even these pagan Roman rulers testified to the fact that these earliest followers of Jesus who knew him did not consider him to just be some ordinary guy or a good teacher. No, they were devoted to him as if he was the son of God. They took note of these things. So how do we know the resurrection happened? The reality of it is seen in Jesus' words. He predicted it ahead of time and it happened and it changed people's lives who saw it. We see it in history. We know it's a historical fact. We know sources from the Bible and outside of the Bible have written it. How else do we know about the reality of the resurrection? Well, the reality of the resurrection is seen in the great cost Jesus' disciples were willing to pay for their belief. Now, if you know much about the Bible, you know this already, that after Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples' lives did not get any easier, did they? 
No, in fact, they got quite a bit harder. Persecution broke out. It wasn't an easy thing to be a follower of Jesus or to say that you believe in the resurrection. We know in Acts chapter 12, the book of Acts is a record of the launch of the church in its earliest years. By the time you get to Acts chapter 12, we read that the apostle James had been killed by Herod because of his faith. The Jewish historian I just referenced, Josephus, he tells us about James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was put to death by being stoned by the Jewish leaders. The second century father named Origen, he writes about Peter's crucifixion. And then we also know from church tradition and Mahana that all the disciples died as martyrs. There's convincing evidence both inside and outside the Bible that a number of the apostles, they died for their faith in Jesus and they faced significant persecution because they would not deny that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, of course, you talk about martyrs. All world religions have martyrs. That's nothing unique to Christianity. But what makes the martyrs, these martyrs so unique is that they died for their belief in something that they saw with their own eyes. Namely, they were dying for the resurrection of Jesus. Now you can take a catalog of people who have died over the years for what they believed as a result of what somebody told them. True or untrue, they would die for that. But these apostles... I'm also referring to the disciples. They, they were disciples in the, in the Gospels and after Jesus, they became apostles. The same group. These apostles, they willingly gave their lives for what they saw with their own eyes rather than deny the resurrection. And I take a step back from that. And you ask, what is somebody willing to die for? What makes the most sense that Peter and James and the other James and Paul, they knowingly and willingly died alone at the hands of these various rulers across the land for a lie that they purposely fabricated? Does that make sense? Or does it make more sense that they died for a historical event that they witnessed with their own eyes? And I'm here to tell you today, the only answer that makes sense is that they died for something they saw. Because no one dies for a lie. No one would die for something that they fabricated. In fact, if I were to say something sometime and it went viral and all these people believed it and then all of a sudden I got called onto account because of it and they said, if you don't tell us if you lied or not, we're gonna kill you, I would say, ha, ah, just kidding. <laughs> of course it's a lie. I made the whole thing up. Put your guns down. What are you doing? We would not give our lives for something that we made up. The disciples, they didn't make this up. They saw it with their own eyes and it cost them everything. It cost them their very lives. And you think about what, are the, what causes us to lie today? What motivates people to be dishonest? Isn't it most of the time money? We think if we fabricate something, we will get ahead or we might get that job promotion. We might get some wealth. We might get some prestige or some power or status. We lie because we want it to prosper our lives. Do you realize that none of the disciples prospered financially? They weren't famous when they died. None of those things. All the things that we think lying is gonna achieve for us, if they were lying, they sure didn't get any benefit from it. Nobody dies Nobody makes the ultimate sacrifice for something they made up. The disciples didn't make it up. No, they died because of what they saw. And that speaks to the reality of the resurrection. You know what else does? I think the reality of the resurrection is seen in the life change of the disciples. There is, as you study the New Testament, there is a tremendous change 
in the disciples of Jesus from before the resurrection and after the resurrection. You take Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. Peter, on the night that Jesus was betrayed uh, by Judas, Jesus said to Peter, hey, before the rooster crows, you know what's gonna happen, Peter? You're gonna pretend like you don't even know me. And of course, Peter, he's like, that's not true. I would never deny you, Jesus. And then what happened later that night? A little girl approached Peter and said, I know who you are. You're with Jesus. And, and what did Peter do immediately? Uh-uh, I never knew that guy. Don't, don't associate with him. Uh-uh, that's not me. That was Peter before the resurrection. But not long after this, there's a day of Pentecost and the church gets launched and all of a sudden Peter becomes this powerful evangelist and he's preaching to thousands of people, men and women and rulers and soldiers. He doesn't care who's listening. In fact, just a few days later in Acts chapter three and Acts chapter four, he and John were arrested because they had healed somebody and they were telling people about Jesus and said, knock it off and they beat him. And you know what they said? You know what these religious leaders noticed about Peter and John? Acts chapter four, verse 13, they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Friends, I want you to know that the beauty of the resurrection is in the transformative power it brings into somebody's life. Peter and John were changed by it. We see it from before the resurrection and after the resurrection and countless of people have been changed by it as well. And I want you to know today, you can too. There's not a person in this room that cannot be transformed by the power of the resurrection. And I also know that many people in this room have already been transformed. The Bible teaches us that the moment the resurrection comes into our, our lives, we ourselves become crucified with Christ. And from then on, every moment is transformed from being stuck and bound by the things of this earth to being freed and prepared for the things of heaven. I think, how does the resurrection change us? How does it change me specifically? Well, through faith in Jesus, and what I mean by faith is believing. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. By faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus takes all of our sins, all of our failures, and can transform them into something beautiful again. Your life. Some of us walk in here today very burdened. In fact, if anybody knew what was burdening you today, you would be too embarrassed to talk about it. So deep down in there that if anybody ever knew that about you, it would be devastating. If we take part in the resurrection, even our greatest failures, our biggest burdens from the past are completely and totally transformed. See, at the cross and through the resurrection, God forgives and God redeems our most horrible moments. And even in our sins, these sins are transformed into something else. It's a complete transformation. In the resurrection, our deepest regrets are transformed from unbelievable shame to a proclamation of God's grace, mercy, and love. Crucify with Christ, identify with the resurrection through faith, and it changes everything. And I think about the reality of the resurrection 
There's these instances in the Bible that really shout to me its truthfulness. You know, one of the most, uh, I think, amazing examples of Christ's resurrection is probably one you haven't really thought much about, if at all. Jesus had a half-brother named James. Did you know that? Jesus went on to have other brothers and sisters. The Bible speaks of, you know, Jesus was born of his mother Mary. She was a virgin, the whole virgin birth thing. Well, Joseph and Mary went ahead and got married and had a life, had a family, and other children were produced. The Bible speaks about these other half-brothers that Jesus had. James was one of those half-brothers. Interesting detail in the scriptures. It says that Jesus' brothers didn't believe that he was the son of God. In fact, Matthew, or John chapter 7, verse 5, it says, For even his own brothers did not believe in him. But after the resurrection, this half-brother of Jesus, James, he would go on not only to believe, but he would become the leader of all the Christians in the city of Jerusalem. Now, I want you to think about your own brothers and sisters for a minute, okay? Just think about them. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he was the son of God? You're laughing because you grew up with him. <laughs> no way he's divine. Andy Stanley, Pastor Andy Stanley from Atlanta, Georgia, um, he posed that question one time. It was like, huh. And then he said, when he said, what would your brother have to do to convince you he's the son of God? Wouldn't the answer be something like rise from the dead? That's James. You know, before the crucifixion, every single one of the 12 disciples deserted Jesus and they ran away. But after the crucifixion and the resurrection, all the 11 surviving disciples, they boldly proclaimed the message of his death and resurrection. Something happened to them that can only be explained through their firsthand witness of the resurrection of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit coming into their lives. And if you have not experienced that transformative power of the resurrection of your life, today's the day to experience. It starts with belief. And if you've already experienced the transformational power of, of your faith in Jesus today, then it's time to move forward in power. It's forward to move in faith and to be bold and to speak faithfully and truthfully about Jesus Christ. So it's the resurrection that transforms the symbol like a cross into something beautiful but it's just not the cross that's been transformed for us. I would venture to say that the empty tomb has gone through the same transformation as the cross. We look at a graveyard, we look at a tomb, and it usually doesn't bring about positive feelings, you know? I think about the, the Jewish leaders when Jesus came out of that tomb and, and all these people saw him and they were making these great claims. And instead of these Jewish leaders saying something like, no, he's still in there. No, no, he's still in there. No, they couldn't do that. So you know what they did? They bribed the soldiers. Matthew chapter 28, verse 13. They bribed them. They said, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Which is a crazy lie. Because if you were a Roman soldier back in this day and you were found sleeping on your watch, you know what happened? You got a sword run through your belly. That was punishable by death. They couldn't produce Jesus' body, so they, they lied about it. But you know what? Over the years, that lie began to fall apart. 
You know why? Because the disciples didn't give up on it. They continued to preach. They faced tremendous persecution for their insistence that the tomb was empty and that the body could not be found because Jesus has risen from the dead. Like I said, more than 500 people saw Jesus resurrected and walking around and not one of them ever came forward to refute that. It's because it actually happened. You know, when I think about cemeteries and tombs and things like that, I, I don't really think of a cemetery as the place that I go to and relax. It's not like I call my buddy and say, after the game, meet me down at the cemetery and we can hang out. That's not, doesn't make any sense to me. You know, when we were doing, uh, when, when we were doing a lot of, um, or back, when, when coronavirus hit and a lot of our life groups had to meet creatively, like through Zoom meetings. And, and a lot of our life groups would meet out in parks, outside. Our life group met over at the parking lot at Cooper Elementary School a lot. We'd sit in a big circle, you know. I didn't hear of not one life group that ever said, yeah, we're gonna meet in the cemetery. Bring your lawn chair. You know, I, it just didn't happen. Because for us, the cemetery is not where we go naturally to find hope, is it? But see, the resurrection, it even transforms the meaning, the impact, and the result of the grave itself. Now the cold tomb uh, is for us now a symbol of hope and life. Hope is now found in the tomb because Jesus is not found in the tomb. And it has transformed the whole meaning of death and, and, and loss in a whole new way. Jesus died three days later, came out of the tomb, and it changes everything. Author Clarence W. Hall says it like this. The resurrection of Jesus changes the face of death for all his people. Death is no longer a prison, but a passage into God's presence. Easter says that you can put truth in a grave, but it won't stay there. I love that. The resurrection has completely transformed death. Because without the resurrection, death is the tragic ending of life. But with the resurrection, it's just the beginning of eternal life. Without the resurrection, death is where our strength finally runs out. But with the resurrection, death is where our eternal glory begins. And so Paul encourages us with these words, first, or Colossians 3.1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the reality of the resurrection, I see it in Jesus' words. I see its reality in history. I see the reality of the resurrection in the changed lives of all the disciples and the early followers of Jesus because they saw it with their own eyes. I believe in the reality of the resurrection. I see it clearly because of what the disciples were willing to pay for it. It cost them everything. I see it in one other way as well. I see the reality of the resurrection in our own personal transformation. It's still changing lives today. As I look out at you today, some of you I have known since before you were a Christian. And I've seen this transformation in your life. I, I know what you were like back here. And I know what you are like today. You have gone through this transformation that comes from the resurrection of Jesus. Some of you are sitting next to somebody and you're thinking to yourself, I never dreamed that I'd ever sit in church with this person. 
you should have seen us when we were kids. I know what he was like or she was like, and here we are today. And you know right now the transformative power of the resurrection of Jesus. Because you see something that has gone from being old to brand new, and I'm not talking about age. Paul says it like this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, means you have believed in Jesus' death and resurrection. You have identified with him that way. If anybody's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here, and all of this is from God. A transformation has taken place in your life. And that brings us right back to where we started today. That cross that some of you wear around your necks or your earrings or bracelets or whatnot, these symbols remind us that God, God's heart is to take something that is coarse and dark and broken and to resurrect it into something beautiful. And that describes so many of you in this room. I hope you never look at the cross the same way. Friends, I couldn't even begin to know exactly where each and every one of you are at in your walk with Jesus. But here's what I do know. I know this without a shadow of a doubt that God loves you and God wants to do life with you. That God wants to spend eternity with you. He wants it so much that he died for you and then he rose from the dead to prove it to you. To prove that everything that ever said was true to prove that what you read in his word is, is true and you can believe it, to have faith in him and it all starts with believing. Because that's the question, right? Where do I go from here? Well, like I said, I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus, but I can tell you, tell you it, all faith, this transformation of the resurrection, it all starts in one place. Belief. What do you believe? And if you believe, today, I believe that Jesus did die on the cross for me, and he rose to life for me. I believe that God loves me, has a plan for me through Jesus Christ. If you say, I believe that, then every single person that truly believes that repents of their sins. They understand that Jesus did this to take away your sins. They say, God, I'm sorry. You say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. It's like, from this point forward, I'm gonna change my mind about sin. I'm gonna live my life your way. I'm gonna make you the leader of my life, and I will identify with you in your death and resurrection by being baptized. I saw all those men baptized, we'll also be raised with him. And then I'm gonna live the rest of my life for you. You're not gonna be perfect. You're still gonna sin. You're still gonna mess up. Do you know that I've sinned more after my baptism than I ever did before my baptism? But, but I, like many of you, are walking in God's grace, God's love and his mercy, not counting men's sins against them, redeemed, Striving to live every day of my life the way God wants me to. And that's his desire for you too. It starts with what do you believe? I can't answer that for you. Only you can answer that. But I want you to know today after the service, several of our elders are going to be here at the front. And if you want to talk about any of that, they would love to visit with you about it. Some of you have walked in here very burdened today. I mentioned that a moment ago. And maybe you'd just like for us to pray with you. Maybe you haven't had anybody come alongside and pray with you for a long time. We would love to pray with you. So as people are leaving here today, feel free to stay behind for a few minutes. We'll just be up here. It's very discreet, but 
We'd love to pray with you and share that burden in prayer with you. Whatever's on your heart, let's do some business with God today. Can I pray for you? To your gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can be in this place today, this Resurrection Sunday. And we can openly talk about you. That we can open up your word and study it, Lord. That we can get down to what really matters in this life. What is it that we believe? Lord, I declare to you today that this church family will be a group of people that believe in you fully, 100%. That everything you said in the Bible is true, is to be obeyed and followed. And even when the world goes one way, we will not. That, Lord, we will stand with you. Lord, help us to be bold in our witness. Lord, humble in our testimony. Lord, we love you. And I thank you for everybody here today. May your Holy Spirit work in the way that your Holy Spirit does. In Jesus' name, amen.